0: Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 51 of Ripstop on the Record. I'm Avery.
0: And I'm Jameson. So, Avery, last night I was watching the bachelorettes and you texted me and it got me thinking maybe we're doing these podcast intros all wrong maybe instead of being like hey today we're talking to henry shires the founder and owner of tarp tent uh he's been making his gear his own gear for like 25 years and he's really awesome maybe we should actually be like this is the most dramatic (laughs) episode of ripstop on the record ever what do you think
1: i mean It really just draws you in, but Henry is just (laughs) the most interesting person regardless. So yeah, it's a great episode.
0: Yeah, this is the most shocking episode of Ripstop on the record ever. But uh, no, in actuality, uh, Henry's awesome. We talk about the history of Myog. He's been making his own gear for a really long time, uh, but also some really cool things. So if you want to hear about Tarp Tent's design method for making their tarps, if you want to hear about early days of fabric sourcing and even some of Henry's personal gear choices outside of his shelters, then you're going to really like this episode.
1: And also just the evolution of Myog over the past 20 years. Henry was definitely one of the first uh, that I know of who is making his own gear years. So if MYOG is new to you, just think of how new it was back in 1999. (laughs) (laughs) But that leads us to a lot of great new products that we're currently bringing on. Um, If you haven't seen, we have a new DIY stuff sack kit printed with outdoor ink. It's really rad. It's got the coloring book print, and then we've got an orange and a blue, and then also there's a a scrap practice square for you there as well. So it's another new kit that we've brought on that is really exciting.
0: To quote Lizzo, it's about dang time. We've been trying <laughs> to release that for like five months.
1: <laughs> and if you got to meet us at Trail Days, you might have gotten one of those stuff set kits then. So Definitely be sure to tag us on Instagram and show us what you're making and how you're using your stuff sacks. I would personally love to see. Um, But other than that, we also have a bunch of fun new gadgets um, that we've brought on. We've got some new scissors. We have a grommet plier kit, quilters tape, and a few others. Make sure to check out um, the product page. You can go under new and see all of our new products on our website.
0: That's right. And finally, we will be back on YouTube for this episode. We're really sorry about the last one; there were a whole lot of technical difficulties with our software system and all that stuff. But if you want to like, if you would like to watch this video, or you want to recommend somebody to watch it, then this one will be back on our YouTube channel.
1: All right, let's get to the episode. Hey, Henry! Thanks for joining us today on Rips Up on the Record. Can you tell us more about who you are and what you do at Turptent?
2: Sure. Well, um, I guess I'm officially the president of Tarp Tent. (laughs) Um, um, I've been doing this for 20 some odd years. We start. we founded the company in 2001. Um, The whole thing came out of, uh, as a result of, ultimately of my PCT through hike in 1999. And for that effort, I I made some of my own gear. And then I um, had an idea for sort of a floorless tarp shelter. I just called it Tarp Tent because it was kind of a merging of the two ideas and um and then i I posted some plans on a a site that's actually still in existence called backpacking.net i believe yeah backpacking.net um and i that would have been the end of it but i kept getting emails from people going hey this looks cool could you make me one of such a thing i was like no i hate sewing but here's some plans (laughs) have have fun um so that's kind of there's a lot more to that to that story but um That's how it it all sort of started for me. And then it's just, it's grown organically over time. We we really had no plans to start a company or anything like that. It's just, it's just, it was a hobby that turned into what it is now, frankly.
0: So I want to start out the conversation talking about TARP 10 specifically, because I think you're a great example of the growth that the NYOG industry has seen as a whole. So... As it pertains to the business, tell us about the business side of TARP Tent right now. Where are you guys at in terms of size? Where are you located? Um,
2: What's your mission? Stuff like that. So we're in a small kind of mountain community called Nevada City, California. It's um, up in the foothills between um, Sacramento and Lake Tahoe area, old gold rush country um we are pretty small we're about well we've been as high as 10 and we're down down to about six we just sort of got too spread out and too sort of not focused so so we're down to 6 hardworking people I would say we don't do any of the production here it's all just design and customer support and shipping and Inspection and all that kind of stuff. So, the, you know, the day to day happens out of here, but we don't do the production.
1: That is all great to know. And you said six people. I was like, man, these must be the fastest sewers <laughs> in the world. <laughs> um, but no, I think that's becoming more and more common. Um, and especially since you've been around since 2001, um, I know getting that stuff into production can be definitely quite. The process so kudos to you and i'm sure that takes a huge weight off of the shoulders of having uh to <laughs> have a small team making them by hand i know the next question is going to be fairly difficult but what do you think sets tarp Tent apart from other shelter makers or shelter companies
2: well i don't know i mean again i think this all goes back to the, the make your own gear thing so i i as i said i never intended to start a company um it was just a passion had sort of evolved, um, not really on my, not on my own terms, if you will, and not, not on my, it's just, it just sort of happened. And, but I, I think to this day, I maintain a real passion for, for shelters, for shelter design, for shelter utility. Um, and, you know, I look at it, it's, I, I'm a nerd that way. I mean, I look at tents and I get all excited. I just get goosebumps. I, I look at stuff and go, well, if we could change this and this and this and this, how look how much cooler that would look. You know, and and I and I I look at a pack or a sleeping bag, and I don't I feel nothing. I'm just dead. But, <laughs> but, I, but I look at a, I look at a tent, and I get all I get all tingly. So um, so that's kind of what drives me day to day. I still feel like I'm learning. I think the big thing for me early on was um, was discovering um, computer aided design software, CAD software, and that's just opened my world and still does to this day. I mean, I I can. I could invent things I, I could barely dream of back in the day. I, I can't even draw a stick figure to save my life, but but I can I can create things on screen, you know, that are fully three dimensional that I couldn't possibly do with pen and paper, and so that's really opened right. my world and it, it keeps me invigorated. So you said the
0: first iteration of a tarp tent came from your 99 pct through hike now tarp tent sells two and three plus person tents how did those iterations come to
2: come to fruition or come to life what inspired those designs <clears throat> well i'll start at the, the high end first the high end actually the three and four person came from my my family need so my wife and my my now now 16 year old boy and and uh, our our large dog at the time we needed some place to all be in one contained unit right so that's that's how the the hogback developed and then the, the th- also and before that the three person when our son was much smaller so that was kind of the high-end evolution and then the the two persons i don't know it's just like our first two tents that we launched on the market were effectively the same design they were called the verga and the squall and one was just a bigger version of the other so that was the first two person the Virga being the one and then the, the two and then we just you know none of this is most of this is just not planned it's just sort of it evolves over time and and so i have told the story before but way back in the day well i was not and am still not a trekking pole user which seems kind of weird these days but yeah um, and the first tents we put out were kind of um hybrid structural systems. And since they had a rear arch pole and a front trekking pole, well, ultimately what turned into a front trekking pole, we shipped those products with a front vertical aluminum, somewhat flexible pole. And then I kept getting responses from people going, well, this is great. I don't need the pole though, because I'm going to use my trekking pole. And I was like, what? what are you <laughs> talking? It never occurred to me. So, but anyway, since, since those days, I, you know, we, <clears throat> you know, the stuff that we make now is a, is a mixture of arch poles and tent and trekking pole kinds of designs. But it's, but a lot of it's just, it's just, I just keep, I just, I, we around the office just keep, we get, we get, we take seriously our feedback from customers and Hey, what about you? You could do this with an arch. Oh yeah. Cool idea. We'll work on it. And it just, things happen.
1: I think that really resonates with me, especially, um, being, having like a creative background in being an artist, um, I was always told, you know, artwork is never finished, like the painting is never done, you can always go back and add more and uh being a personal fan of Tarp Tent and a personal user of Tarp Tent, I've seen how your designs even just over, man, since I did my through hike in 2018 have totally evolved and changed. So it's very exciting as someone who also really likes to nerd out on tents and being comfy in the woods. um, It's just great to see how that has evolved. And I'm sure even more so from your perspective, starting this in 2001 and now here we are in 2022. I mean, so much has changed from, I mean, mostly just the thrill of people doing through hikes. Like Mm -hmm. I can only imagine what your experience was like when you did it back in the nineties. Now, you know, looking 25 years later, there's more people through hiking. So there's more of a demand, and people have these great ideas. Um, So I love that you're constantly evolving that. And it's been really fun um, to watch as a user.
0: We talked to Dan Durston a few weeks ago about his shelter as well. And one uh, kind of attribute of a, a good shelter that he mentioned was kind of simplicity. What sort of attributes do you think are a part of tarp tent or a part of your design process Mm -hmm. that make them so popular? I mean, like Avery said, uh, Mm -hmm. cheese through hike to the tarp tent. I believe your, your friend took your tarp tent on a through hike, (laughs) not to mention thousands of other people that have really, really enjoyed your design. What do you think makes them so popular in that way?
2: I don't know. I mean, I, you know, uh, you know, back in the day, the the thing was about it and it still is to this day. It's about utility. It's about, um, keeping the rain and the bugs out of your (laughs) world while you're sleeping ultimately. (laughs) Right. So it's, and there's multiple ways to do that. Um, Simplicity is certainly one of them. So, you know, one of the one of the sort of the keys, I suppose, to simplicity is, you know, the fewest number of stakes possible, I suppose, is, you know, one 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 measure anyway of utility. So, you know, I'd say a number of our tents do, do, do well, as few as zero stakes and as many as six, that's kind of our cutoff, is I, I don't want to do a tent that requires more than six stakes. So, and for that, there's always a trade-off, right? You're always giving up something to get something else. So, typically any tent is only as strong as the number of stakes positioned into into the ground. At some point, the wind will blow over anything if the stakes pull out. So, And then there's the kind of the whole freestanding thing. And for the freestanding, the trade-off is ultimately more weight and less stability in the case of wind anyway without staking it down anyway. So I don't know. I, I think um, – and we certainly started out life as a single-wall tent company. Absolutely. The first – many first – uh, almost 10 years, uh, probably more than 10 years, were exclusively single-wall tents. And we've moved much more into the double-wall world in recent years. Um, and I understand the utility. I'm just, although I grew up on the East Coast, my, most of my backpacking has been on the West Coast. And for me, in my experience, you know, the single-wall design has worked perfectly fine. I mean, I think um, condensation is a fact of life. It doesn't matter what tent you put. you will have condensation. And it's a question of whether, whether it's extreme enough to bother you, whether you brush against it, or whether or not it drips on you, et cetera, et cetera. And I, but I totally understand that for some people in some parts of, the, of this country and in, around the globe, you know, double wall makes much more sense. So anyway, we, 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 we've mixed and matched various single and double wall versions now. Um, but yeah, simplicity is definitely one of the fewest number of stakes, kind of easiest pitch, or at least having a, a, a verifiable, repeatable pitching method, I think. Because you can even, even with a four stake tent, if you don't position the stakes in just the right way, you can still screw it up. It'll never be right. So, <laughs> you know, I think it's our, our job. I feel like our job is to do the best job that we can to be good teachers about how we think it's best to, to set it up, anyway. And if you follow that, and we we think it's repeatable, and uh, then then that's you know that's kind of our job is we just want to make sure it's 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 reliable, repeatable setup method, if nothing else.
1: I want to touch back on the stakes real quick. Cause this is one of my favorite things about my tarp tent and you can tell I'm getting super excited, but <laughs> I, when you, you know, you first start backpacking and you haven't used a lot of the gear before you don't really realize. And until I got out on the AT and if your tent, it has 12 stakeout points and each stake weighs something mm. you're, you know, you're adding weight to that, but also like rocky terrain um having finding like the best spot to do that making sure that all 12 stakes are getting in and then also if you lose a stake or multiple stakes (laughs) then you could be in a pretty bad position um or you're just gonna have to go around and find like 12 rocks to (laughs) help help you put that up so it's one of my personal favorite things that uh you know i set my tarp tent up real quick and i have friends that have other tents and i'll backpack with them and they're like fussing with the last six stakes and they just can't figure it out. And I'm just like, boop, 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 boop. And it's all done. So that's one of my personal favorite things that, and I just really appreciate the simplicity of it. So I love hearing you talk about that. You don't want your tents to have any more than six stakes. And I think that is just like really valuable in the backpacking world, especially. So on that note, what is next for tarp tent? Um, that could be, you know, next year, the next mm-hmm. five years. But yeah, we're excited to know what you have to come, yeah. if you have anything to share, or any ideas that might be in the pipeline.
2: So one of the things that happens when you've been at this thing for a long time is, you know, the, the group of people that you work with changes over time, of course. So the, the people that we work with now are not the same people we worked with, you know, 15 years ago, of course, and with the exception of my wife, of course, but <laughs> um, the... the So I'm, you know, we have a, um, in the last six years, I guess. So I have a physics background and I've done all the design over the years, but, but starting about six years ago, we, we started hiring some mechanical engineers who who work that I work together with to do, to do design. And um, the first one, we, she had a great career here for about five years. And then we've, she, she left to go to another company a bigger company. And then, and so now we have a new one and, and, you know, he and I, Rob work really well together and I'm just, and it's, it's, it's just this evolving thing. And I, it's hard to say because things just happen. You know, we start looking at something, oh, well, let's try this. Let's try this. Oh, look at this thing. What if we tweak this? And it just evolves. And so it's, it's hard to predict now what it'll look like in a year, but we're always thinking about you know, new designs or improvements to old designs, it, that kind of thing. I don't know if that's, it's not a satisfying answer, I suppose, but it's hard to, to predict exactly. What I will say is that we have definitely, you can see it now on our site, we've moved in some new fabrics. So we're starting to use silicone coated polyester. We've been using um, silicone coated nylon forever. And then we've also recently in the last three, four years have moved into Dyneema fabrics. Um, And I think we're going to probably keep going along the lines of um, moving into new kind of composite fabrics as well going forward is my guess.
0: I want to take us from tarp tent specifically kind of now to uh, tarp tent's lens on the MYOG industry more broadly. In your About Us or in your bio, you talk about making this first tarp tent early on for your 99 PCT through hike. Were you a DIYer before you made that tarp? Or did you kind of become a DIYer as a
2: result of that? I well, yes and yes. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I so the the history actually goes back to about ninety six. Um, the the company's still around it's called Stevenson. They make um, tents, tunnel tents, and they made something called the Stevenson Warm Light Tent. The Thing about that tent was, um, it was uh, used silicone coated nylon, which was the lightest thing around in those days, and I, um, uh when I started to think seriously about the gear I was going to take on this hike, I looked at all of my stuff and it was all old and heavy and except for this newer, newer tent, but even that was too heavy for what I wanted to do. So I, I, I thought, well, what if I made my own sort of little tarp thing out of the same kind of fabric and we'll see how that goes. So I bought a sewing machine at Sears, you know, and I hacked this thing together and then I ended up making some pants and a jacket and, a poncho and a few other things. So that's kind of got me started. Was the gear, getting some stuff that I needed for my own hike together, with having zero experience sewing or anything like that. I just bought a sewing machine and went to work. You know, so that's kind of how it all started. Um, um, no, and-
1: that is. uh I think that's great to know. I personally haven't heard of the Stevenson Tunnelton's but I just did a quick search and it looks like a lot of designs that people are making now, but I'm definitely gonna, man, I feel like I'm already getting schooled by you. Uh, <laughs> it's so great to be able to talk to you. You were one of the first people that came up. We were like, who has probably been like myo gene for, you know, the longest time? And you were at the top of our list. So obviously back, you know, you said- Back in 96 is kind of when this all started. The internet wasn't very prevalent. There was certainly no Reddit or Reddit NYOG or YouTube. What or whom did you have for external influences? I know you mentioned the Stevenson Tunnel Tents, but where else were you looking to get kind of inspiration and know all to be able to start making your own gear?
2: So the book that I purchased in the year or so before I did the PC. T was a book called the PCT hikers handbook by an author named Ray Jardine, I don't know if that name means anything to you. Um, and it, it was very much, um, you know, he, he talked a lot about just trying to lighten up all the way through all your gear. And it was you know, profound is maybe too strong of a word, but it r- really got me thinking about my own gear and what I could do to lighten it all up. And, um, and that ultimately, you know, turned into the, the first tarp tent. Not that I got that design or anything from him, but it was just like, oh, well, yeah, I could get my own fabric and I could sew something together and, you know, see where it goes. So that was definitely a big influence. And then the other thing that, that there was a web resource, again, I mentioned the site called Backpacking.net, which is still around. And I ended up sort of documented the plans for the TARP tent, original TARP tent, and I put it up on Backpacking.net. So people were able to download the, the you know, MYOG plans for making such a thing from that site.
0: How did you source fabric back then? You know, Ripsaw by the Roll, Dutchwear, Rockywood, Seattle Fabrics—these yeah, yeah. awesome companies
2: didn't exist. Where'd you get it? Um, that's a very good question. I, I, I don't know where I got my first fabric. It must have been some sort of online thing because I don't think I could find still nylon at a local fabric store. I, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Eventually, within the first year or two of sort of going formal on all this. We hooked up with with a, a company back on the East Coast. They did source Sil Nylon and a number of they called Westmark. I think they're still around. Um, and we um we sourced Sil Nylon directly from them, and that would have been starting in probably oh three or thereabouts, I think. Yeah.
0: What were those sil nylons like? You know, how what was what was the weight comparison yeah. then
2: to Sil Nylons now? Well, it was all so we because 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 of the, the influence from you know warm light Stevenson, I went exclusively 30D steel nylon. That's what I could find. Um, and it was all around you know, 1.56, I think, ounces per yard, something like that. Um, what what is true over time, what, what it what so we, we've gone through a number of different flavors of steel nylon over time. And I know there were some change rule changes in rules and regs, and so it was. Silicone, silicone, or silicone all the way through, and then it was like a mix of silicone and urethane blending stuff. You, you guys know all this stuff, and then, um, and and now we're now we're back to, we've changed fabrics over over the years. Now we're back to real silicone only, but there was definitely a blending going on in there for a while, and, and there was a, I think that had to do with my understanding from Westmark is that had to do with U.S. rules and regs, and because they, anyway, so
1: it's kind no, of I think all that makes sense and helps lead really well into the next question. You know, you just talking about seeing multiple types of the way fabric was blended and made, you know, over the past 20 years, um, what have been some of the most notable milestones in either the MYOG industry or the cottage industry that could either be, you know, mm-hmm. from fabrics to, uh, just the amount of cottage companies now or how the internet helped change things. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I'll let you answer that however you please.
2: Well, certainly, certainly it's grown. It's grown a lot. And it's it's now grown to the point where it's having a huge impact on sort of where the bigger box industry is going in the sense that they're all trying to get lighter. Right. And so um, that, I mean, to the extent that we change the world that way. Um, but I would say over time, um, yeah, certainly new fabrics, you know, DCF that I I resisted for a long time I could talk about that but um
1: I am curious well, you know, I you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to but what was the uh hesitation yeah with the DCF yeah.
2: um so so for me I, it has something to do maybe with the way I was raised which was uh fine I, I just that the pricing of this stuff really it still to this day strikes me as wrong in some way I don't know it's just it's so expensive um, and so it ended up, you know, basically doubling the price of a tent. And I just couldn't wrap my heart around selling something for twice the price that does the same thing that something happened the price. I mean, it mostly does the same thing. Right. There are certainly big upsides to DCF. I mean, I, I totally agree. But but for me, ultimately, it was just about I just couldn't it just seemed really expensive. Um but I, I'll say that what finally tur- turned, turned it around for me was seeing what was proving to be very popular on the market in DCF. And me as a designer looking at it going, I can do much better than that. I, I know I can. Um, you know, there has to be more than just the fabrics, right? I mean, there has to be, it's that, I mean, sure, it's just fabric, right? But I can do more with that fabric at the same price, at least. As other people can, so that's what turned turned it around. Just so maybe it's an answer, but that's it's just. I just. I at some point I felt like, all right, if this is the way the world works, then I'll, I'll participate in my own. Life. <laughs> what would you? What do you want to see from other fabrics
0: now? Like silk poly is obviously a bigger thing on the market yeah. and um, definitely a, yeah. a huge benefit. But yeah. I do yeah. like. I, 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 what we hear at least is a lot of people love DCF, even you know with the price tag, the, the tear strength. What, would, mm-hmm. what do you want to see out of Sil polys or a, a more mm-hmm. approachable price tag fabric now to bridge mm-hmm. that gap
2: which you know, between the price, but also what people are asking for, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff that's really bomber? So, so, so from, a, from a tent design perspective, well, when I look at a tent, I, I, I can tell you that the, a relative measure of the wind performance of any tent is the size of the unsupported panels, right? So, mm-hmm. so basically, how far is it between points that are structurally locked? In whatever that configuration is, so like I'm, I'm thinking, like like the classic like a frame tent, right? So you have a you have a pole or whatever at one end and one at the other end, and all of that span in between is not supported, mm-hmm. so that, that fabric is free to move in, at least in this direction in the wind. Mm-hmm. Now some of that movement though can be stopped or inhibited by the the ability of the fabric itself to not not flex or not not stretch in response, right? Sure. So that's that's one of the key benefits I think of Dyneema fiber fabrics is they, they are literally non-stretch in. It's not quite true. They they are minimal stretch, but but essentially Sorry. they're non-stretch in in all directions. So yeah. so you can't stretch them this way, you can't stretch them this way, and you can't stretch them through the bias this way, right? Yeah. So so that ultimately to me is still the big upside to Dyneema and other composite fabrics if they're done the right way and that they don't. They don't move in response to wind, not to the point where it starts to become a real problem. The problem with steel nylon, of course, and steel poly to a lesser extent is still, is still that it they, they can move. They don't... The fiber, like a polyester fiber doesn't stretch, but there's a bias stretch. Mm-hmm. So that panel still distorts in the wind more than you would like. Again, depending on how far it is between the supported areas on the structure. So, you know, I think... <clears throat> You know, the ideal fabric to me would of course be as light as possible, be be non non-stretch in all the all the ways that matters, be waterproof as heck, and be and be durable, right? And that's ultimately, I mean, the durability is a problem sure. for lots of reasons for for some fabrics. Um and it's responses to point stresses. So floors, of course, are always more susceptible to damage than than canopies typically, unless something falls on your canopy. But So I, you know, I think, um, will there ever be a perfect fabric? I, I, I don't know. I doubt it, but, (laughs) but there will be improvements, but it's, you're, you're giving up something to get something else typically. Sure.
0: If DCF was, say it was, uh, just a fraction more expensive. So I'm thinking of like a a good sill that we have. Say the DCF was $15 a yard or $10 or a half yard rather, is that closer to a perfect, fabric in your mind if the price was lower or are there still enough problems? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, so, so, I mean, there's a number of ways to think about, I think fabrics and their, their, their value. And one of the, one of the ways I think the value of fabric in some sense is sort of, you know, nights of use per dollar spent in some sense. Right. So like we typically tell people, and I think it's pretty accurate, is that like a Dyneema fabric will last roughly two thirds the lifespan of say a steel nylon fabric. So and in, in real world terms, that turns into something like let's say 200 nights for Dyneema and 300 nights or more for steel nylon, right? So if you divide those, if you, then if you, if it's cost per yard or whatever cost per tent divided by the number of nights is sort of like, what does it cost to me per night to use this product? Like, you know what I'm saying? So, yep. so for, for, you know, for people who are just out there a few nights a year, over time, it's still the same number, same dollars per use, but the number of years of use goes way, way, way out, right? Depending on how many nights a year it's sure. per year you use. So in some, and so in your mind, you think, "Well, I, geez, I've had the thing for 15 years. It's time for a new tent. I only used it 25 times, but so what? I've had it for 15 years, right?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> through hikers are like, "Well, I used the thing. I did two through hikes with this tent. It's done." That that took that took you know two seasons and it's done. But I just, was spent 400 nights in the thing, so that's fine. That I'm just saying, there's, there's lots of ways yeah. to evaluate perform or value, I guess, in, in a fabric. Totally,
1: I will say I'm a uh, your use example of. My, I have the Contrail uh, tarp oh, no. tent, so the old one, and there, there, there. it went on one through hike of the AT. I took it on a through hike of the AT, and then I was a backpacking guide for two years and used it as my right. tent so I think I'm at maybe like 600 nights and it is <laughs> looks still brand new but obviously like I took yeah. good care of my gear I keep everything wow. clean and I'm just still so impressed like I'm emotionally really attached to this tent now I don't want to replace it I don't even honestly really think about replacing it I see new tents all the time I get like a little excited but I just it's like it really feels like home now <laughs>
2: great
0: story other than dcf mm-hmm. what were other milestones for the last you know 20 26 yeah, yeah. years now um yeah. for myog users user
2: specifically stuff that's been available at a, a low quantity basis yeah so so obviously i think of te- i think of tents anyway as as um uh, as Skeletons and skins, for lack of a better word, right? (laughs) So the skeleton being the support structure, right, and the skin being the thing that you drape over the support structure to contain it all. Uh So there have been changes in both skeletons and skins over time, specifically in the tent world. Sure, and 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 the skeletons being, of course, you know, trekking poles, arch poles, and then and then the materials in the arch pole sort of being aluminum and carbon fiber, and for a while there was fiberglass, and there's. Yeah. I don't know. There's other stuff in the works, I suppose. But ultimately it's, um, you know, those things get lighter and thinner and stronger and more flexible and stiffer. And there's all kinds of variations there. And then of course the whole range gamut of changes in, in materials. And I really only have my head wrapped around the tent world. I, I mean, I, you know, lots of changes in, in um, packs and sleeping bags, etc. What I will say is that, and I don't know if this is exactly your question, but it's, it's impacting us and it's causing us to, to, to think in different directions is that as a hiker, you have a, a collection of gear and it all has to work together. So meaning you can't just have a standalone tent because it's what you put in the tent, starting with you that matters. Right. And so, and so, but, but also what also goes in tent besides you is your, is specifically your, your pad. And I would say that the evolution of pads over the years has had a major impact on tents. That being, not only have they gotten wider, but they've gotten a lot thicker, and so that Ooh. that changes what that changes how the whole system works together. So specifically, a wider pad now, if your tent is not um, has has a geometry that doesn't support that wide pad a, at any part of its length, that's a problem. Or if your tent is designed in such a way that you know, with a thin pad you're you're, you're far enough away from the walls at whatever end you're okay, but with a thick pad and you no longer are it's like you, all of a sudden you gain six inches of height because you're that much closer to the walls and so that's actually changed quite a bit in recent years, I feel like, and it's changed what we're doing now in response to that to try to engineer around those. Thicker, wider dimensions than it used to be prevalent.
0: No, that's that's a that's a really good point too. I mean, one thing that we, I was going to sort of get to eventually was the concept of people making their own tents and how that's a, a really big challenge for a lot of people. You know, packs mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways are far more approachable to design, mm-hmm. and the panels in the geometry of a of a pack are are more simple, a little bit less. Uh, mm-hmm kind of exaggerated, if you will, than a whole shelter design. But that's, that's kind of another good tip for people. I mean, earlier you mentioned having kind of designing uh, designs around like six stakes and stuff like that, but also designing it kind of around your pad uh, is a really good method for kind of scoping out what it is you're going to be looking at.
2: Yeah. So one of the things that we do in our initial design is we, you know, it's all sort of virtually initially. So we we create the skin and the skeleton, and then we put a virtual body inside and the body has a certain length and width and height and all that, right? But but now we have to jack that body up on top of a sleeping pad, which has a certain dimension that never we didn't have to worry about in the past, right? But now if you stack a body on top of a three or four inch pad, right? That changes kind of what the tent has to do over the top of that to make, mm-hmm. to make it all.
1: I'm curious to know, obviously, because gear has changed like you're mentioning from the time that you threw hike to now what type of pad were you using on your PCT through hike in the 90s
2: oh I just had the closed cell foam Z foldable pad thing yeah started out with a little inflatable thing which of course died at its first encounter with a cactus somewhere that was that was it
1: Uh, Yeah, there's definitely the West has, I feel like sometimes a lot more obstacles in the way of like, like pokey things and more rocks, uh, (laughs) things like that. So you have different types of hazards out there that you have to be mindful of, uh, especially with inflatable things. Um, that's just good to know. So one thing that we strive to do is to highlight just the wonderful people that we get to talk to beyond you just being tarp tent. Um, So with that in mind, we just want to ask you a few personal questions um, and your preference to gear. I think, you know, people are always curious to know like, oh, what is the owner of tarp tent carrying and things like that. So um, what is your personal gear, at least like your big three, your pack, your tent, and your sleeping bag?
2: Well, I'll start with this, this sleeping bag because um, actually that's actually a, a MYOG project. I made my own quilt, down quilt, um, which um, was a traumatic experience. <laughs> 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 but but I, I moved on. Um, no, I still use it. Um, uh, I just, I have this vivid memory and I got, somebody gave me a tip somewhere. It goes, when you when you actually stuff the, so I made the shell, of course, and then I had to put the down inside it. And they said, Whatever you do, get inside a tent before you start stuffing down into the baffles, because the down will go everywhere. At least you'll contain it. So I, I remember I did that. I got inside something and I stuffed all the down. feathers were everywhere. I never got the feathers out of the tent at that point. But, um, but I, st- I still use it because I'm a fairly warm sleeper, and I don't like the zipper thing. And I end up unzipping anyway. And it's like why well, bother with the zipper? So I mean, I, I st- that quilt is now approaching 20 years old, and I still use it. So wow.
1: That's amazing. We might have to have you send us some pictures of that. I'm sure people (laughs) are going to want to see it.
2: Um, And then for a a pack, so um, when when I did the PCT, I hiked on and off with the guy who founded um, ULA, Ultralight Adventure Equipment. Nice. So I'm still using a ULA pack to this day. Um, And then intent. tent. Hmm. I'm still working on what I want to bring. So I've been trying a a lot of our... um, Tarp 10, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but I've, I've used a lot of their. <laughs> and I'm becoming. I'm honestly, I am becoming more of a fan of D, of the DCF things now. So I've been spending a fair the nights that I can get out. I've I've been in the Eon. I'm I'm now. Um, so we have a new a new tent series on the horizon called the Dipole series, which is also to start, It's going to start out in Dyneema, but anyway. But it's um, but it has. Again, this, is an, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm cycling back to this response to long, wide, thick pads. But this is, an, this is our, our answer to long, wide, thick pads. And so I'm spending some time in that one. Um, I'm excited about that design. I've used the Moment quite a bit over the years, again, because that's not a trekking pole tent. So it's just some simple arch pole tent. And then every time the family and I go out, um, we take the hog back. Just that's what we do because it works great for the four
1: No, I think um, that's great to know. I love the throwback and just like the full circleness of all the NYOG communities, you knowing the guy who started ULA and carrying one of his packs. And it's one of the really special things that me and Jameson get to see here is just like all the connections that people get to make and how tight the community is of being able to kind of like lean on each other. And that's super exciting. I do have a kind of an off, off topic, on topic question. Um, but do you have plans to maybe through hike the PCT again, perhaps with your 16 year old?
2: You know, I've, I've broached that idea to him over the years and at first he was excited about it. And now it's because I like hiking. He does it. That's <laughs> So um, we've been on we've been on some multi day hikes together. He's um, I think he'll come around. He's just in that stage where he's yeah. Um, I don't know that we would do the PCT together, but I would love to do a a shorter you know on the order of a few weeks, not a few months, kind of hike with fair (laughs) like that. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like your design background, your knowledge of fabrics and stuff, does that influence the packs that you want to carry? I know earlier you mentioned how tens really get you going, but packs, you know, don't really do it for you. What like what, what's your what's your vision looking at a pack? Because I feel like for most people, that is the thing. Like that's like the coolest thing to talk about.
2: Uh, uh, that's a good question. Um so I I I actually don't I don't know what f- Ro ro ro, ro- <laughs> robic rope robe? Oh no, Robic, yeah. Robic. I think that's the ULA pack, I think. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? I don't know. I,
1: I think mean, it's uh yeah, it's either like the grid stop or the grid stop with the robic, okay. I believe.
2: Okay. okay. Anyway, um it's worked fine for me. I don't have any complaints. Um could it be lighter? Sure, probably. Um, um uh and I and I and I appreciate that packs. Because I get this question actually, why don't you use? I won't go into brand names. Well, why don't you use this fabric in your tents? I go well because you know it's it's super tough, it's great stuff, but it's it's um, but a pack has so much less material in it than a than a tent that you know basically for a pack, you know whatever it is ounces per yard just doesn't multiply over that many yards, right? Sure. For a pack, yep. the way it does tents, so you can so a a, a, a super tough durable um, pack material makes all the sense in the world even with a large weight gain in, in cost or a weight per yard, because it's not that many yards, Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, you know, I know there's some good stuff out there. I just, I'm, my head's not into the, into the pack world, quite honestly, it's totally. hard to answer the question. Yeah. Yeah. No worries.
0: So as we're wrapping up here, Henry, what inspires you or who inspires you now to design, so the design processes that you've talked about in the past, where your family growing, certain adventures, um, the big sleep system or big sleeping pads and stuff. What helps you tick? What keeps you excited now about tarp tent and creating new stuff?
2: Well, I mentioned this earlier, but it's it's collaboration. I mean, primarily, I I, I love working with my my team and just brainstorming. And hey, we'll throw this up on CAD. Let's see what we can do with it and see where it goes, and we'll build a test sample, and then we'll look at it and go, no, that was a bad idea. <laughs> or, or we'll go, oh, that's, that's good, but it needs this tweak to it or whatever. Um, you know, when I look around the industry, um, I mean, I obviously I'm, hope I'm somewhat up on other, other companies and other designs. I try to look at the positives of what I'm seeing for other things that are out there. I've, I've resisted and will continue to resist till I'm done sort of copying and pasting other stuff that's out there. I, I just, I don't, that's not the way I work. I, I, when I, when I recognize intentionality or like, Oh, I see why they did it that way. And I see the benefits of doing it that way. Then I try to work that back into what we're doing. How could we make what we're doing more intentional or more beneficial in some certain way, based on our overall design, not on copying that exactly, but I see what, I see the point of that. Yeah. Again, again, this whole process. Is just It just evolves. I don't, I don't have a lot of intentionality and we have, we always see we're, we're already, well, one of the things that's happened over time with COVID and et cetera, is that we've had to get a lot more intentional about our production cycles. Mm -hmm. So we're already well into next year for production planning. Um, And it's just, things are taking so much longer now to go from, you know, screen to, to finish product. Um, And, and so, and so we might get all excited about something, but in reality, we're a year out from getting that on the market, probably. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so there is there's definitely more intentionality now about about forward planning, and then about we've also gotten to the point now where it's you know if you look at our website, we're at, I don't know what are they, 20 21 different tents, which yeah. is confusing, quite honestly. <laughs> I mean, I get questions all the time well, which one should I get. It's like I. <laughs> um well we we have to do i think i mean going forward we we, rather than just keep introducing more and more products which i and i always want to do that we also have to do that in conjunction with maybe paring down the stuff that we have or replacing some products with new products so that it doesn't just continue to mushroom because at this point it's getting a lot sure
1: Thanks for sharing that. I've got uh, one final, final question that I am just curious about. Do you remember the first time you were maybe out in the back country that you saw someone using one of your TARP tents?
2: Oh, I don't know if it was the first time, but I'll share this story with you. So in 2010, I believe, I walked across Scotland on something called the TGO Challenge. So it's... um. TGO is a magazine in Scotland and, and they, every year they sponsor this, this hike across, uh, across Scotland. And you, you know, you put in an application and you you submit a, a route and they check it all out and whatever. And so anyway, I got there and I, you know, I had most, most of the way was solo. I had my own route and I just didn't intersect with a whole lot of people until I was getting more toward the East coast. And I walked into this sort of community campsite, if you will, where there are a number of other TGO hikers. And I, I saw one of our tents set up and I didn't like the way it was pitched. It was just, it was just, it just bothered me. So I walked over to it and I was like resetting the stakes to kind of make it look good. And, and the owner like came and goes, excuse me, what are you doing? I said, oh, my name's Henry. I'm just here to fix your tent. <laughs> and, he, and he looked at me and he goes, wow, great service. <laughs> <laughs> so that
1: was, that was fine. Oh man, thanks for <laughs> sharing that story. That really tickled me. Um, it has truly been great to talk to you, Henry, and talk to you more about Terp tents, but also just we see you as a pillar of the MYOG community and the history of MYOG, you know, up there with Ray Jardine and um, the others, but... We're just really glad that you're a part of this community, Um, and we just really thank you for being able to talk with us today to shed more light on uh, tents and the history of making your own gear.
2: well, I appreciate it. Thank you for calling. Thanks so much for your time, Henry. Have a great day. All All right. Take care.